Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill-Smith. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. Welcome to episode 71. Welcome back, Sally. How are you? I'm good. I feel like we haven't talked in forever except for, you know, the 45 minutes before we press play, but you went on vacation. I did. That was the big thing that I didn't want to talk about because I was afraid we were going to get the podcast curse. I feel like you may have gotten just a teeny little bit of it. I got a sprinkling of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um we so we went to Asheville. We rented this like big house um with uh the people we're potting with, Kristen and Jill. You've heard me talk about them on the podcast and their families who were all very good friends. And we did have a great time. It rained a lot, but that's okay. We still hiked through the rain. We yeah. had a good time. The only problem was our refrigerator was broken. With three families. With three families. We had no refrigerator. And I have to say, and you know, during the day, I am a property manager. So I'm very uh, sympathetic towards property managers. Right. But I have to say, they handled this so shittily. Like, I called the number to tell them that the refrigerator was broken. We figured this out the day, the next day. Well, it was warm when we got there, but it said it could take up to 24 hours to. Cool. And then, yeah. And then so the next morning we woke up and all of our groceries we had just bought, most of them were ruined and we had to throw them away. And then I called the I called the number and then they texted me back and said, you got to wait for the fridge to cool. And I was like, yeah, I did. I waited 24 hours and it's still not cooling. And they go, you must have turned it up too high. Now you have to wait for it to defrost. And I was no. like, um, so like what? temperature is a normal temperature. Like, I don't understand. They're like, and, and they were like three. And I said, okay, cause it goes up to nine. And then they're like, okay, then five. And I was <laughs> like, wait, can somebody just like help me? And so then I was like, all right, I'll, I'll let it defrost. And then we'll, and then I went, we went hiking and then we came back and that's when Jill and Kristen got there. The refrigerator was still warm. And then I texted them back and I was like, can somebody please just like help us with this? And nobody, it went five hours before we heard anything back. And then Jill called them and was like, what the heck? And then somebody called us back and they were like, all right, we're going to send somebody over with, um, to take a look at it. And if he can't fix it, um, we've got a couple of ideas. So then we, like later that evening, somebody comes by with a mini fridge and he just dropped off the mini <laughs> fridge and then left. And You're like, wait, wait, what? And then he told us we would have a, a brand new fridge in the morning. And uh-huh. so we had this tiny mini fridge that we could barely fit anything in. And then the next day we heard nothing, heard nothing, heard nothing. So it's like we're, we only have a five-day trip and like we're spending three days of it trying to f- fix this fucking refrigerator. Right. We had to be the the people that are like, this is unacceptable, which I right. never want to be that person. <laughs> you went full Karen. But it really was <laughs> unex- like we didn't have a fridge. And so no, and it's not like you were in a hotel. You were at a, like a mountain house. Yes. A very- so you're like, the point is to like go and cook with friends yeah. and be together and like, and to not have a fridge is nuts. And that we had with, to- like 
a million kids. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. And we had like, and we couldn't, obviously like drinks we couldn't put in the fridge. We had to keep the food cold. So we were drinking warm beers. We would have to order out. But the thing was, we would pay all this money to order out, but then we couldn't keep any of our leftovers because there was nowhere to put them. Yeah. So we just would have to throw out tons of food and it was just awful. And then they said that they would give us a $25 a day credit for our inconvenience. And I was like, this house cost $3,000 for five days to rent. $25 a day for no fridge? Fuck off. Why is the fridge just not on? Why would it need 24 hours? To cool down. I don't. So when the then when a guy finally came out and looked at it, he said that yeah, this is broken. I'm gonna need to order some parts, but they're definitely not gonna get here by the time you guys are leave. You know, and yeah. so they were just like, sorry that you have to have this mini fridge. What we're gonna take off twenty five dollars a day for your stay. And I was like, this is cuckoo, cuckoo. So I ended up writing them back and saying, like, listen, we we easily threw away way more than $25 a day worth of food. Not to mention, like, we all, we're only here for a few days and we've already had to spend all this time going back and forth and troubleshooting this fridge and blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, okay, $50 a day. And I was like, mm, still not the best, but I have no energy to fight about it. Right. You're just like, it's done. I'm not going to spend my whole vacation. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a long – I'm so sorry, you guys. I sound like the biggest white whiner right now. Like, my fridge and my luxury. (laughs) Um, Vacation was broken. Well, I brought it up. My wine wasn't cold. (laughs) My wine. So I don't know. It was like – there was a sprinkling of a uh, Madagascar, but all in all, we had a great time. Um, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna leave them a bad review. I'm not gonna tell you guys the name of the property management company unless you message me, and then I will tell you. <laughs> but uh, I probably won't stay with them again. I'll just say that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah. But I mean, we're happy. We're healthy, and. <laughs> And that's all that that's matters. That's all that matters. But you know what? Else? One other thing I want to talk about up top um, is uh, so what we do love is when we get reviews. We love it. We do them. love it. And, and we got a new really nice one. We do. And I want to read it out loud. Um, so Michelle B., new listener, thank you for listening, wrote, I was turned on to this podcast from Jen's interview with Mighty Blue about her through hike of the AT. I listen while I section hike the AT. Oh, so this person is on a hike and they were listening to me talk about how I (laughs) hiked the Appalachian Trail. And then it said, Jen is hilarious Mm -hmm. with Sally. <laughs> and they have great laughs that sound alike. I am working my way through the podcast and really loving them. Good work. Thank you, Michelle. Michelle, you're the best. Maybe we do sound alike, maybe a little too alike because my, my mother in law is like, I don't know who's talking ever. <laughs> and I'm like, you've known me for 15 years and she can't tell us apart. Oh my God. So, because here's the thing. As much as I would love to take credit for hiking the entire Appalachian Trail, Uh that wasn't me. 
Sally it did was that. Me. Sally did it. <laughs> Jen's trying to steal my glory. Although I did hike for a few hours the other day, and I thought to myself, I could, I could hike that bludgeon trail. <laughs> <laughs> It's basically the same. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it started at 10 a.m. I was done by 2. Drinking um, warm wine by 3. I could do this. I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Michelle, thank you so much. That was like such a great review. And I'm glad that you love Sally um, so much in her interview. And I love Sally too. But that wasn't me. That was Sally. It was so let's give her the credit she deserves. <laughs> but it is cool. It's cool, man. I'm we're glad you're here. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into some quickies. Let's do it. I think you're first, man. I am. Okay, you know, we're doing Halloween themed quickies. I do um, know that you're doing Halloween themed quickies. So this is more <laughs> of a uh I am doing Halloween themed quickies. This is more of a, a list, a listicle. But I love it. I, I love, love a listicle. Me too. This one is from mandatory.com, written by mandatory editors. But um oh, uh-huh. <laughs> dude, have you ever are you into I I feel like I already know the answer to this. I know it's gonna be no, but Sally, are you a sexy Halloween costume person. <laughs> oh my god. Just the thought of that is making me laugh. Like, can you imagine? What if I was? What if like all the rest of the year I'm wearing like baggy sweaters and like covered head to toe, but then Halloween. That's I'm like, when you really got the slut out. That's when Sally puts the girls on display. Oh yeah. I um, no. No. <laughs> no. I remember one year I had the idea. I can't I honestly can't remember if I did it or not. I think I did, but I wanted to be a sexy garbage bag just to make fun of <laughs> poke yeah. fun of the whole sexy thing. Um but no, I was never a sexy Halloween costume. In fact, like one year and I will never forgive Zach for this for the rest of my life. Because <laughs> if anybody holds a grudge, it's me. <laughs> I had this idea. I went to a Halloween costume with my friend Katie, uh, a store with my friend Katie, and I found this like old man rocker dude costume, long <laughs> hair, like picture like Jim Morrison, but gray. And yeah. I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to wear this long beard and this long hair and these aviator sunglasses. I'm going to tape the little boobs that I have down and I'm going to wear like a <laughs> jean and nobody will know it's me. And so yeah. I wore the, co- I put on the costume and I went and saw Zach because I wanted to freak him out because I wanted to see if he knew it was me or not. And he was like, this is creepy. It's not funny. It's just creepy. This, And I was like, dude, this is hilarious. Like, I'm like a 5'4", like, little man walking around and nobody right. knows, can tell it's me. This is so funny. And he was like, no, it is not funny. It just creeps me out. Like, please take it off. And I was like, fine. <laughs> so then a Halloween party comes around. It was not actually Halloween, but it was a Halloween party. And I got really sick and I couldn't go to the party and Zach didn't have a costume. So he (gasps) wore wore your costume costume. and everyone thought it was so fucking funny because he was this wasted rocker dude guy and everybody thought it was so hilarious. Oh, Zach was so funny. And then Zach got so wasted that night that left the wig and the beard there or whatever so lost my costume and took credit for my costume i was livid 
And oh. then <laughs> on actual Halloween, when I was better and ready to go out, I just I didn't have anything to be. So I ended up being like Courtney Love. And I remember it not being that funny. And I was real mad about it. And this we were just dating at the time. And I remember yeah. like walking from the bar I was at to his house, like full Courtney Love, like walking to his house, like pissed off. And I opened up his screen door and I threw my lit cigarette into his house <laughs> and yelled at him for ruining my Halloween. And then I left. Because <laughs> I was really channeling my inner Courtney Love. I know. I was, I was like, like, you really were ruining my fucking funny costume. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, and I love. I would have loved Messy Jen. Oh, I would have loved. Dude, I mean, I, we would have had a lot of fun together. Oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> and we're still married. <laughs> um, that actually, it kind of reminds me. The old man costume reminds me. I'm going to tell a story that's like a tiny bit name droppy, but okay. So, so I'm I've uh, for a long time have been friends with Bobcat Goldthwait, and he's he, a legend. He's a legend and he's amazing. He's the nicest person. Um, but so we met at this comedy festival in Cincinnati, and he and I and uh, this other comic, John Evans, we were at this comedy festival, and we decided that'd be really funny during the day. We went to a costume store and bought all these, like, because Bobcat was like, "I want to stay for this next day. I'm not doing any sets, but I, because he was like the big headliner the first night to hang out, but I don't want people like, you know, coming up, and I just." want to be incognito so we got him this old man like really scruffy wig and then a mustache and a bucket hat and then we all got mustaches so anyway so we got him this costume and then that night while john was doing a set on a stage bobcat started heckling him as <laughs> the old as man guy, yeah yeah and he was pretending to be drunk like he was like like came like rushed the stage and everybody was just like what the fuck is happening what is happening and then he sprung up on the stage and pulled off his wig and everybody was like ah! <laughs> went nuts i don't know if that's a good story or not it is a great so that reminded me of i have some funny pictures see from that. <laughs> me and bobcat are both comedic geniuses we have the same ideas you have the same instincts <laughs> exactly he's amazing um, yeah. So this article is called 12 Smart and Sexy Halloween Costumes That Are So 2020. So the, All right. these are a <laughs> list of I'm gonna start from I'm gonna start from the bottom up. Number mm -hmm. one is a face mask bikini. Like make a bikini out of face mask. Like I don't I don't really get that. Number eleven is sexy disinfectant wipes. Yeah. All right. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Number 10 is sexy toilet paper, which okay. you can imagine is just wrapping your body in toilet paper. Mm -hmm. um, full on, what's that movie with Bruce Willis and uh, Mila Jovovich? Fifth Element mm, style, know. but with toilet paper. <laughs> Number nine is sexy white claw, which is just like a picture of a girl wearing a belly shirt that says White Claw White on Claw. the top, and then underwear and fishnets. Number eight is a sexy bottle of Corona that says, and then on the bottle it says COVID-19. Like, get it, Corona? Oh, I get it. Get it? 
Number seven is a sexy containment suit, which is kind of defeats the purpose of wearing a containment suit because it's only a quarter of the way on her body. <laughs> I was going to say, is it like cut out? Yeah. Or like where her boobs and... It's like a mini dress, but it's a, in the fashion of a containment suit. Yeah. Okay. These are not smart. And then <laughs> number six is sexy murder hornet. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Which is just like a hornet costume, but it's basically underwear with like a big, giant, deep V, like I'm all just, the way down to her belly button. Like whenever I hear these things, because I for I for a long time wrote crap for the internet. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, like lists like this and five places to go on a date or whatever, you know, any I, – and I just know like how – how many of these you have to write to make any money and how quickly you have to write them and the amount of time and thought that goes into them is like zero. So whenever I see someone like a list somewhere that's like, oh, it says the top five places to whatever. I'm like, that person spent 20 minutes on that yeah. because they're getting paid $5 or whatever, you know. But so I feel like this one, the person was just like, okay, let me think of 10 words that have happened in 2020 and then I'm just going to put sexy That's exactly it. what this is. <laughs> All right, keep going. Number five is sexy postal worker, which uh -huh. I feel like that pro costume probably existed before. It's basically like take the mailman pants, turn them into hot pants, and uh -huh. then take a mailman shirt and cut it off right under the boob. Right. Okay. And then here's here's one. Number four, sexy mail-in ballot. All right. It's just like a tube top, a tube dress that looks like a mail-in ballot. <laughs> <laughs> That's like when people were doing, were being like the hanging Chad. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, I think so. I don't, but I'm just agreeing with you. Um, <laughs> Maybe you were too young. <laughs> uh, number three is a banana bread boredom, which is basically a tube dress like a kelly bundy dress that and with mm -hmm. just like a banana on it and then yeah. she's carrying a bowl with a mixing spoon that just you sounds really reaching for that one cumbersome <laughs> that sounds like an annoying costume where you're gonna just leave that bowl somewhere the second you walk through the door and never pick it up and everybody's just gonna think you're a banana well that's yeah like everybody's gonna be like what are you and they're gonna be like i'm banana bed boardroom and they're gonna be like what's that yeah and you're gonna be really pissed that you dress like that yeah i'm surprised sour also you shouldn't be going to parties a sourdough yeah why is anybody wearing any of these costumes <laughs> and number two is sexy hand sanitizer okay um and then number <laughs> one is also sexy hand sanitizer. And it says, in quotes, because you can never have too much hand sanitizer. Oh, man. Someone really ran out of yeah. it. <laughs> they wouldn't even like, put their uh... name on this one. They were like, uh, written by editors. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I don't want to shit on this article, but because I understand how this happens, I am not proud of a lot of you things I've You can shit written. on it. It's shitty. <laughs> but it is real lame yeah it really is <laughs> man i hope you got something better than what i brought today i like what you brought i'm not shitting on you for bringing it it's their fault yeah. okay so i have you ever had anything crazy happen on a first date yeah mm -hmm. 
What? What? Well, I mean, I've just had like a like crazy first dates. Like uh, I remember this one guy I dated. I was just talking about him the other day. I was talking about how like he was actually like so much fun because he had the wildest, craziest ideas. So dates with him would be really, really fun. But then I found out that he also maybe we should bleep his name out. I don't know. But I found okay. out that he kind of has a. mental issues and so he would either be real fun or real terrible yeah and so some of his dates were he picked me up called me and said put on your nicest dress and I was like in my pajamas and then I went outside and he had like my friend as the limo driver driving his car for him yeah and then we went to uh the strip club around the corner and he was dressed in a suit and he told everybody that his name was I don't want to say because it's kind of his real name, but this thing, and he said that he was an Austrian pop star and he pretended to be an Austrian (laughs) pop star all night. And that this, my other friend was his driver that sat by the bar talking about how all this other guy, like the guy I was on the date with, oh, he's so famous and Austria is such a big deal. And so then all the dancers were like all over us all night long (laughs) and just stupid shit like that. It was so fun. Yeah. Those were like kind of the dates that I would go. And so it was fun to date him for a little while, but then I quickly learned that it was, he was also natural fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's always a dark side yeah. to those people who are like so manically fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Okay, well, so this is about a woman who has had some not great luck on dates. And this is about one of them. So in 2017, this woman, Janie Hall, met a guy on Plenty of Fish. They had chatted for two weeks and finally decided to meet for a date at the Cheesecake Factory in Kansas City, which just, I guess it's like, I guess it's a good place for a first date. They have a huge menu. Huge. Right. You, you, you could spend your whole time just talking about the menu. Exactly. If you don't have anything else to talk about. Um, Something and for Janie, everyone. Something for everyone, literally. JD said, um, she said, I liked a lot of what he said. Social change is big for me. And when he told me about his volunteer work, that really stood out to me. He volunteers at his grandchild's school and he's active with the veterans group in Kansas City. And so they had this wonderful meal. They had great conversation. And then the server boxed up their food. And then they continued to talk for 45 more minutes, which I'm sure the server was like fucking mad. <laughs> like, Will you please let me turn over this table, you know? Yeah. Then suddenly Janie's date coughed three times and then like lifted his finger as if to kind of like excuse himself. And she said like, I, we weren't eating, so I knew he wasn't choking. So she kind of like turned her head to the side to give him privacy. And then the next thing she knew, there were dishes falling onto her side of the booth. <gasps> and her date had stood up and immediately fell face first. Oh, my God. On the restaurant's marble floor. <gasps> and so Janie ran over to his side. And with the help of their server, who was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> um, this woman, Becca Bartholomew, they rolled him over. And he had glazed over eyes and blood was coming out of his mouth. And so Janie was actually a former respiratory therapist and so she checked and he had no heart rate. And so she began chest compressions and CPR. And then while they did the CPR, the waitress, Becca, took charge and like told her coworkers to call 911. After about four minutes of chest compressions, Janie checked for a pulse again and she found that he did have a weak pulse now. <gasps> and so eight minutes later, the paramedics arrived and they hooked him up and they d- detected a heart rhythm. So the next day, Janie calls the hospital and they patched her through to the hospital room. And she was like, oh, good. That means 
he didn't die. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she talked to his daughter. And then a few days later, she went to go visit him at the hospital. And she was like, he looked amazing. And he remembered everything about our conversation at the restaurant. And Janie told him, I never got to thank you for the meal. And he said, oh, my God, you saved my life. <laughs> so he actually asked her for a second date. And Janie said, the waitress wants to come along as well as his two daughters and his granddaughter. I definitely think we'll have a group with us on our next date. Oh, Wow. And uh, when they were interviewed, when she was interviewed, so this was in People.com. Sorry, I should have said that. People.com and then uh, an article in the Joplin Globe. But she said that what she really wanted now that it was getting press, the story was getting press, is that she wants everybody to learn CPR because she said it's so easy to learn the basic concept of CPR and it can save someone's life. So... So this story went viral, and Janie actually caught the eye of a producer on the show to tell the truth. I should say this happened in 2017, so it's not so weird that they were at a restaurant, right? Uh So Okay. So she caught a producer on the show um, to tell the truth, which was hosted by Anthony Anderson. And do you know, have you ever seen or heard of that show? It was like an old one that came back around. It was like like they would say three facts about them, and you would have to guess like which one's are true kind of so there's like there's three people and only one and they all are saying they have the same story so her her segment was called i'm a dating disaster and so she's there with like two actors and they tell the basic story and then they the the panel asks all three questions to just to decide who is the one who's telling the, the truth so she was actually the panel when she did it was mel brooks cloris leachman michaela michaela watts and nikki glazer and so she's questioned by the panel, and she actually told them, this is actually the fourth time one of my dates has ended up in the emergency room. One had an appendix burst. Another one had a twisted testicle. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. So Anthony Anderson is the – of course, like when she said that, like everybody went wild. And Anthony Anderson's the host, and so he asks his mom, like, who do you think it is? And she says – she points to Janie, and she's like, well, she's a respiratory therapist, so she'd know how to deal with both the nuts and the hearts. <laughs> and oh, my so, God. And, then, you know, people go crazy. And then, and then, of course, and then it's revealed that the person telling the truth is Janie, and everyone in the audience and all of the panel starts chanting, nuts and hearts, nuts <laughs> and hearts. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god uh, but as for jd she says after all of this she said she's still single and she's still swiping right so oh man that's, that's my quick for J- janie yep janie yeah. hall oh man of joplin missouri she's yeah she's a trooper man she's a trooper i'm like i they didn't get to what the how how did her date get a twisted testicle? And how did she know? <laughs> yeah, he probably sat on it wrong and started crying. Maybe. Oh, man. That would be <laughs> so like, weird. I was like, my I, nuts, man. <laughs> I do want to I do want to hear that story. So I do want to anybody hear knows story. Janie mm-hmm. or Janie, if you're listening, uh, please email us. <laughs> please email us. Let us know. We want to hear. All of your dating disaster stories. Twisted nuts. Twisted nuts. Oh, man. Hey, Sally, are you ready for a crazy story? Jen, 
I am ready. Okay, because this story is pretty wild. It's- Can I tell you one of one of the most exciting things when you do cl- crazy stories is what wacky show did you find this on? Oh man, this came from all of them, and in fact, it breaks the fourth wall. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, of true crime documentaries. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. It, the story was in so many different places. Okay, namely Dateline, um, Dateline. and then an article for the Cinemaholic written by Noor Malholtra, an article for People written by Christine Pelisek, and then an episode of Snapped. Ooh. Yeah. So, right. Okay. So Greg Mulvihill grew up in Portland, but he moved to Southern California after graduating college um, with a degree in computer engineering. He was very, very, very intelligent, but he, and he was like very nice and kind and soft-spoken, outdoorsy. He was in really great shape. He was tall. Like he was a good good package. Sounds like yeah. it. Yeah. Keep talking. Yeah. His hair was a little long at times and pictures. <laughs> Pretty good looking. So in 2005, when he was 34 years old, he, he decided to, you know, start looking for the one. So he started online dating, trying to find a match where he met a woman named um, Diana Lovejoy. So Diana Lovejoy was just uh, two years younger than him. And she grew up in the heart of Silicon Valley. So she graduated. She was very, very good looking, very intelligent. She graduated from UC San Diego and she had a degree in literature and she minored, a triple minored in music, French and psychology. So like very well rounded. She was, everyone said that she was a very good girl. Like she, you know, she was kind of a her friend said we're we're kind of nerds um she loved to read she was very intelligent very athletic super athletic Mm -hmm. um she was a fitness instructor she did triathlons and after college she moved back home to san diego and got a really great job like right away as a technical writer at nokia so like at a young age was make six figures you know and same yeah me too. <laughs> Me too. Um, so in March of 2005, when they finally met online, it w- felt like they were made for each other. You know, they were both super intelligent, athletic people, calm and laid back, and they love the outdoors. So it, after only two years of dating, Greg proposed, and in August 2007, they got married. You know, they both had really good jobs. So they were both making six figures. And with their dual income, they were able to buy this like massive $800,000 home in a really nice suburb of California called Carlsbad. Uh-huh. Um, it's like right like on the caverns. Caverns? Carlsbad caverns? Isn't that a. Uh, I don't know. I think. A national park? <laughs> I know that it was right by the beach and had all the things like swimming, hiking, nice neighborhood, all that stuff. Yeah. It seemed like they had everything that they ever wanted, but what they wanted most was a child. Unfortunately, that didn't come easy for them. After suffering eight miscarriages, Oof. which was absolutely devastating and can, can totally take an emotional toll on yes. – uh, will, will. There's no way around it. That will definitely take – 
it could definitely change a person. And But in September of 2012, she finally gave birth to a beautiful, healthy baby boy. And they just love their son more than anything, as you can imagine, yeah. you know. And so, you know, they were so happy to have their son. And then 2014, Greg suffered a shoulder injury. And it says he's... This is, I don't really understand this. It says that he suffered a shoulder industry and that he had to stop working. But like, can you, with your fingers, like computery? Aren't you a computer? I don't, <laughs> I really don't know why you had to stop working. But so anyway, so Diana was supporting the family and which, you know, that's stressful. You know, she yeah. had to support the family. And so to make extra money because they had this huge house they had to pay for so to make extra money she did fitness blogging so she was a writer you know and she would write about fitness and she was also a youtuber who made videos about how to make quick and healthy meals when you're on the go yeah but so she was working her job and doing all the fitness blogging stress of having a child but on top of that she had chronic fatigue yeah yeah so she believed she believed that she had a fibromyalgia and she thought that her son also was suffering from a chronic illness and she thought that it had to do with his kidneys not functioning properly but greg didn't think that anything was wrong with their child so between her the stress uh, as you can imagine the stress of like yeah. they so they weren't doing well between the financial stress her, her declining health um, they weren't seeing eye to eye on the state of their child and right. you know the stress took a toll on them and in 2014 Diana filed for divorce and Greg moved out of the house and they tried to keep things civil for the sake of their son and in 2016 things were going well for Diana she was still doing her blogging and Greg actually got a new job and things were starting to move on but the divorce did turn tumultuous mostly because like i said before she believed that her son was sick right and he didn't believe that he was sick he said that she refused to have him seen by any specialist at any of the children's hospitals um instead she just had him going to this one doctor that insisted that he be on these massive high doses of it's called guaifenesin which is kind of like a mucinex Dr. Dudefuck, if you're listening and you want to chime in. <laughs> but um, so, but because Greg disagreed and didn't think that his son had the illness, when the child was in Greg's care, he refused to give his son this medication, which yeah. made Diana crazy, you know? So because- It's really stressful. I, I know of couples where that has happened, where one person is really worried about the kid and the other person thinks it's that they should- do uh, you know where they don't agree on how to care for your child and that's that's gotta feel crazy making on both sides where one person like she probably thought you're not caring about our child enough to take to give him this medicine and he's thinking like you're giving him unnecessary medicine that could be hurting our child you won't take him to any other specialist right like that's that's heartbreaking i know because apparently when they were still married um diana thought that Greg was suffering the illness as well and had her go to the doctor. And the doctor was like, oh, yeah, you have this, uh, I guess, whatever the same illness. It never says what the illness was. But um, he was like, yeah, you need to take this drug also. And so, but Greg oh. was secretly not taking it. 
And then yeah. when he went back to the doctor, the doctor was like, oh, yeah, the medicine's working. You're much better, much better. And Greg was like, this is all bullshit. Like, this doctor's a quack yeah. and he's feeding you guys all this medicine because he's probably getting incentives for it. You know, and you're giving it to our child. Yeah. So initially, they were supposed to have shared custody of the child, but Diana was upset about him not giving the child the medication that she thinks that he needs and taking his sickness seriously. But then she also went to authorities and claimed that Greg was abusing her sexually. And then she also accused him of sexually abusing their son. Oh, no. Yeah. She told the authorities that for the first six years of their marriage, Greg was perfect, and that when she started to become sick is when things changed. She said that she started to wake up in the morning feeling like groggy and sore, and she told them that she thought that Greg was drugging and raping her while she was passed out. But he, of course, denied all of this. You know, he said that that this is preposterous, this is crazy, I've never abused anyone. Uh, but because of her claim, she was able to get full custody of her son. And then she got what is called, she was able to get what's called a kickout order so that Greg mm-hmm. had to be removed from the home. But Diana insisted that Greg was threatening her and that she was fearing for her life. She just was scared of him is what she told everyone. So she started going to a shooting range called Iron Sights Shooting Range to learn how to shoot and to protect herself. And it was Uh there that she started taking lessons from a 30-year-old ex-Marine and shooting instructor named Weldon McDavid. So she trained with him for several weeks and confessed to him that she was taking lessons because she was scared of her ex-husband. And she started to confide in him and Weldon really felt for her. He had always had a sore spot for a damsel in distress. Yeah. In fact, this was not Weldon's first time on Dateline. Um, apparently this is where we break the fourth wall Uh, and so years earlier Weldon had made the news and a Dateline episode when he helped a woman named Crystal Harris who had been a victim of domestic violence and rape at the hands of her husband Um, he taught her how to shoot and how to protect herself and he kind of made it as mission to protect her and crystal recorded one of the attacks on a mini recorder that weldon had given her and because she was able to record this attack it was enough to convict her husband and put him away for a long time so the story made headlines and both crystal and weldon did multiple television interviews about it about him being this you know hero And so Weldon, again, saw this woman that needed protection. And so he continued to try and protect Diana. And he gave her self-defense lessons. He installed a security system in her home. But Greg, this whole time, insisted that he was not dangerous and he had never assaulted her or their child. So he... Um, insisted on hiring an attorney and he also insisted on he wanted to be psychiatrically evaluated he was like you know i want how do i prove that i'm not 
this person she says I am. So he allowed any and all investigations into his home and they both underwent psychiatric evaluations, both him and Diana. And the court actually ruled that there was no evidence that he was abusive. And so they ruled on joint custody between Greg and Diana. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's the, I mean, I, courts get it wrong sometimes, Yeah, you know, but that seems like a pretty big flip to like put a kid in danger or a woman who is saying like, he's abused me, he's abused my child, and then he gets joint custody. Yeah. Like, I wonder what, how did they come to the conclusion that there was no abuse? I don't know. They never really said, but they just said that under, after having them both evaluated, they decided that the custody should be joint. They, the courts also decided in the summer of 2016, they decided that because she, as a technical writer, made more money than her husband, because she was making at the time $10,000 a month. So the court ruled that not only did she have to share custody with him, but she had to give him monthly $100 payments for child support, which doesn't sound yeah. like a lot. And then after a mandatory mediation about their house that they were living in, which, you know, they both paid for or whatever, that she, and she was going to stay in the family house, she would have to pay him his share, which was $120,000. Yeah. So she was she would have to pay him that. So right, she was going to buy him out. Yeah. So they came yeah. to this agreement and everything seemed like it was going fine. And then four months later, on Thursday, September fourth, two thousand sixteen. Greg receives a phone call from a man who says that he's a private investigator and he tells him like, look, I have all this information on you that you're going to want to see, incriminating evidence against you. And um, and you beat me at this place at this time if you want to get this information. And so Greg actually called the police and told them, like, this guy just called me and said that I need to meet him at this location. Do you think I should go? And the police were like, it's your decision, but we – I wouldn't. You shouldn't. (laughs) But Greg decides to go. But, of course, he feels – like the situation is a bit sketchy. So he asks his boss and next door neighbor, Jason Kovach, to go with them just in case, you know, anything's weird. Right. So at around 11 p.m. that night, the two of them drive down to this dirt path on Avenida Soledad, which is where this person on the phone told them to meet him under the streetlight. And so Greg when he gets out of the car, he decides to take this like mountain bike light with him. And he gives Jason a kid's baseball bat that he had in the car just for protection, okay. just like for yeah. here, just carry this kind of thing. So right. they walk up to this telephone pole and they see a white towel sitting underneath it. And the white towel has an angry birds character on it. That's just sitting under this pole and there's no like envelope of information it's just this towel and greg was like something's weird here so he starts to shine his mountain bike light around just kind of looking around like what you know and when he he, uh, shines the light into the woods he sees a man laying in the woods on his stomach (gasps) wearing camo and holding a rifle with a scope on it pointed right at him no yeah so Greg shouted, um, he yelled, gun. And then as soon as he yelled that, they turned around and started running and shots started firing at them. 
And one shot struck Greg right in the side of his abdomen and seven shots total were fired. So they they drove off in total shock and they didn't actually realize until they were in the car that Greg was shot because they were in such shock. So Jason calls 911 and the police come out and this was right around the time of when the DC sniper happened. So oh, yeah, so they thought it was they thought the sniper. It could have been that or a copycat or some kind of situation. So the police actually put out a reverse nine one one call, telling everybody in the city to stay indoors. So the wow police go and they investigate the scene, and they didn't find any shell casings at the scene. None were found. There was no evidence of any shots, but what they did find was a towel covered in fresh human diarrhea. No. Yeah. Oh. So they had DNA. <laughs> so <laughs> gross. It's so gross. I know. So they took Greg into surgery and they were able to save his life because he got very lucky and the bullet missed his heart. Luckily, Greg survived and he was able to talk to the police. Okay. And the police needed to talk to him because the police obviously had a million questions, you know? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> who shit their pants? Who is it? <laughs> and they have a recording of the 911 call when he called to tell him about this weird phone call he got telling him to go meet this guy. Right. So because Greg survived and he had his phone with him, they were able to go on Greg's phone and track the number that called him. But when they tracked it, it they saw that it was a burner phone. So there's yeah. no person registered to it, but they were able to track down with the serial number where the phone was purchased. So they got a warrant to seize the footage from the day that the phone was bought. And so while they waited for that footage to come back, they of course go because they know that he's going through a tumultuous Right. divorce greg tells them like look diana would never do anything like this you know like mm-hmm. we're, we're going through a divorce but she is not this type of person mm-hmm. so they go and talk to her and diana you know she's just in shock and she has no idea what's happening and she tells them yeah you know i am fearful of greg and he was i have been taking shooting lessons to protect myself and my friend Weldon McDavid he's helping me stay safe and trying to protect me so maybe he had something to do with it like and she kind of offers up Weldon McDavid Uh so the police start to look into like who is this Weldon guy and that's when they find out that he had previously been on Dateline and the news and all that and so when they watch the Dateline episode that he was on in an interview In the original episode of Dateline, the Dateline interviewer asked him, did you listen to the tape, which was the tape of the man sexually assaulting his wife? And Weldon answered, I did. I listened to the tape and I wanted to kill him. And so they were like, okay, here's this guy who has, who's the shooting range guy and he's on tape saying that he wanted to kill this man for hurting his, this other man for hurting his wife. But the most damning piece of evidence that was against him was when the DNA from the diarrhea came back. Mm -hmm. And it turned out (laughs) it was 
Weldens. It was. It was Weldens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I do have to say, this is like one uh, another breaking the fourth wall. Dateline never mentions the diarrhea. They're like, no? we're classy. <laughs> News like, they were able to obtain DNA go around the diarrhea, and snapped was like, we'll take it. And snapped <laughs> mentions him shitting himself probably ten times, and they laugh the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> and oh, so stay classy, snap. Stay classy. <laughs> so on September 9th, two thousand sixteen, detectives arrest Weldon McDavid. And when they search his home, they see that, A, he has a million guns everywhere. Right. And B, in the garage, he had an A-15, which was the gun that was used with a brass bag attached to it. And inside the brass bag, or w- what those things do is they catch the casings or whatever. Oh, okay. Um, I was like, I don't, yeah, I don't know what that is. I didn't know either until I watched <laughs> all of these things. The brass bag bag was attached to it and inside the bag had the seven bullet casings in the bag so when they take him in for questioning Weldon is just like I have no idea what you're talking about I've never even been on that side of town before I don't even know what that is and the detectives are like really because you've definitely diarrhea there before <laughs> we know that that's a fact and then Weldon was like this is like the funniest (laughs) one of the funniest interviews I've seen on one of these shows but then Weldon was like well I did run down a dirt road one time and then I needed to take a shit There was that one time, and the, the police are like, that's really weird because you live 45 minutes away. Like, why were you running down this random road and decided to take a shit? And then Wilden was like, oh, you know what? I think I'm being set up. And they were like, you're being set up? And he was like, yeah, someone paid me to set up two towels on the side of the road and they were like what and then like there so the police are looking at him like set up two towels and shit on it and then (laughs) (laughs) and then that's when all of a sudden Weldon clams up and he's like I need an attorney I need an attorney and And they were like yeah you do (laughs) and maybe some like emodium yeah (laughs) and so that's when so he clams up and doesn't say anything else but then they ended up getting the footage from the best buy showing who bought the burner phone and when the detectives went to look at it there on the screen plain as day was uh-huh. diana lovejoy yeah it was the phone. yeah so was. when the police go and question diana she tells the police that Weldon was very upset when he heard about the court ruling allowing Greg split custody of their son and that Weldon swore he would protect her. And so she claimed that his plan was to prove that Greg was sexually abusing their son. And the plan was to call Greg, tell him that he had incriminating evidence against him and that if he wanted to see it, he needed needed to meet at this street at this time, yada, yada. And he his thought was that if he showed up, this would prove that he was guilty. Because if he showed up, 
to get this incriminating right. evidence, it was like, there's a, that means there would be evidence. Yeah. So he said that he was just going there to record, get on video, Greg coming to pick up the stuff. But she uh-huh. also admitted when she talked to the police, Diana admitted that she paid Weldon $2,000 to do this for her. Uh-huh. And she admitted to buying the phone. She even drove him there. And she said that when she picked it. When she drove him to the, the place? Yeah. To... Okay. To record what she says was just supposed to just to be record him. And uh-huh. so she said that when she picked him up, he had a soft shell rifle case and she asked and, him and he smelled what's shitty. in the bag. <laughs> oh, he didn't shit yet. No, like she drove oh. him to the thing. Okay. She drove him there. And so And then just left him, just dropped him off. Yeah, like that was where he was going to go hide and and record Greg. Uh-huh. And so but okay. she asked him what was in the rifle case and he said nothing, it's just to scare him. So she Diana claims that she had no idea that right right right, right he right, would right. ever shoot him even though he mm-hmm. had a gun with him. Never. And she also admitted to the police that her and Weldon had a sexual relationship. Which was mm-hmm. also fucked up because he was married, Weldon. Oh, uh, Jesus. So, Weldon. God damn it. So, but she's. I mean, he sounds like a real mess. <laughs> like, yeah, kind of. Yes. And so yeah. she said that she trusted Weldon and that he was just trying to help her. Um, and she said that when he was finished, that Weldon talked to her on the phone and told her something went wrong. And she was like, what do you mean something went wrong? And he said, I'll explain later. So, like, Diana just didn't know about any of this. And so she said that this was all Weldon's idea and that she never meant for Greg to get hurt. And so uh-huh. both Diana and Weldon are arrested and charged with attempted murder and conspiracy to commit murder. And Greg, when he found out it was Diana, he was absolutely shocked before he said he could never see Diana doing something like this. And so on September 26, 2017, Diana and Weldon are tra- tried jointly at the North County Superior Courthouse in San Diego. And um, prosecutors claim that Diana Lovejoy, along with Weldon McDavid, conspired to kill her ex-husband because, according to jury foreman Aaron Reed, this is a quote, they said that she didn't want to share custody and she didn't want to give $120,000 to her husband. Because Mm -hmm. if Greg died, all of that money would go to her son's trust, which would then go to her. Because apparently she was supposed to give, she was supposed to turn over that $120,000 by September 26, 2016, and the attempted murder took place in the first week of September. So it, like, came down to the wire, you know? Right. And another – and this was one of the strongest pieces of evidence against her, but at the trial, her own aunt, with the same name as her, Diana, her own Aunt Diana – testified that a year earlier at – I believe it was, like, at a Christmas gathering – that Diana had went to her aunt and asked her if she would help her hire someone to kill Greg. What? And her aunt was like, no. No. No, thank you. And then just kept that information (laughs) in her pocket. So the prosecutors painted the picture that she was the mastermind, that she sought out Weldon specifically because he was on the news and stuff about being this like, yeah, 
she got him all like worked up about being an abused woman and that they said that she seduced him and that she was smart and knew how to keep her hands clean um okay by buying the burner phone (laughs) right that's not the smart and she's a writer for nokia she knows how cell phones work anyway right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so the defense claims that she never that she never intended to have him killed, only recorded. And Diana does not take the stand, but Weldon does take the stand, and he claims that he only fired a shot because he felt threatened by them because they mm-hmm. were running up with a flashlight and a, a child's bat. And his defense was that. He said that he was such a great marksman that if he intended to kill him, he would have killed him. And Uh so even his wife, who he cheated on, Leah, came to his defense saying she said that he was trained to kill by shooting once to the body, twice to the head. Like that's how he was trained to kill. And that Weldon only shot once to the torso 20 yards away and shot the other six shots in the air showing that – which she says proves that he he wasn't aiming at Greg – Weldon said that he was told that Greg was dangerous, which is why he came armed. The prosecutors are like, well, yeah, but you also didn't need to come like in full camo laying on your belly with a sniper. You know what I mean? You also didn't need to lure him into the woods and lay in wait and then you feel Yeah. And then they were also like, if you were a trained sniper – like, wouldn't you have been more prepared and not freaked out and started shooting widely <laughs> or shit yourself? Maybe. Remember how you shit yourself? Like I said, Snapped brings it up a lot. Oh, um, yeah. And so, and the, the lawyer that talks about this, this like quote, like, maybe you shouldn't have shit yourself. He's like dying on the inside laughing. You can see that. Yeah. He's, so, anyway, so. On November 13th, 2017, after just two hours, jurors found both of them guilty in all counts. And so they read the guilty verdict first to her, and then they start reading it to Weldon. And as they're reading it to Weldon, she faints in court. So she just passes out, and the court freaks out. Uh And then they put her on a on a gurney and handcuffed her to the gurney and then rolled her out of the courtroom and into a prison van on what happened you know like that that's what happens if you are in court and you have already like you're you're found guilty it's not like you get to go home and prepare no you just like that day they're just like you're in jail now like instantly in jail and then or you get to walk out like it's such a crazy thing yeah I mean, there are times when the judge will be like, okay, you can stay out pending like before you're sentenced or before appeal or whatever. But most of the time, it's just like, see ya. Yeah. Here's your cuffs. On January 31st, 2018, she was sentenced to 26 years to life and Weldon received 50 years to life. And both of them had to pay half a million dollars to Greg as punitive damages. And she's been in Couchilla's women's prison since February 2018 and will be eligible for parole in 2036. Uh Weldon will be eligible for parole in 2067. And Greg Mulvihill is now recovered and has full custody of their son. And both um, Diana and Weldon plan to appeal their guilty verdicts. And when Dateline um, interviewed 
Weldon again because now uh-huh. they're best friends. Um, <laughs> he told the Dateline's, Dateline's Andrea Canning, he told them that the affair between him and Diana, he says, it was totally unsatisfying. If I could take back <laughs> one thing, I would take that out of the equation. And there were, and Andrea's like, you wouldn't take back shooting Greg Mulville? And he goes, right. if there's only one thing I can take away, I would take away sleeping with Diana I would take that away because I hurt my wife and that means more to me than anything. Okay. And that was his last. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Yeah. Did they say is the their kid? I have to imagine that he's like fine. Like they never said whatever. they never say the kid's name. I think they're trying really hard to protect the identity of this yeah, child. Yeah. I guess I so, don't really need to yeah. know. That. But it's just I just don't like, know. It's so like, it just sounds so, like, Munchausen's, doesn't it? It does. That she's, like, insisting that this kid has something wrong with them and then, like, but won't take him to specialists but is giving him all this medicine. Yeah. And then, you know, she and thinks then she's, like, she's sick and she thinks her husband's sick. Right. I, I honestly – this is a weird – I have weird feelings about this story because I do feel that she probably suffered – Right. Deep depression from the eight miscarriages yeah. that yeah. just affected her in a certain way, you know? Right. And I don't know. I think that she was just kind of – just like not right mentally. Yeah. So I – and she really – in her mind, I feel like she was prob- probably really wanting to protect her child. Yeah. And that – her child was the most important thing in the world to her and that she would kill to protect that child. Right. She was like, I'll do anything yeah. and say anything as long as this kid is safe. So I'm glad that yeah. Greg's okay. And I, do- I honestly like don't wish any harm on Diana. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think I hope she she's... gets the mental help that she needs is what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, look at you. I know. I'm so mature. You're so mature. I'm so mature. I love it. I know. <laughs> that was a good story. That was a crazy one. Yeah. Cuckoo. Oh, man. No, cuckoo. Okay. Um, no. All right. So, yeah. Do you want to hear a love story? Yeah. Okay. Remember how last week you did just like a really sweet, nice love story? No ups, downs, and all arounds? This is not going to be one of those stories. It is one of those okay. stories, pretty much. All right. Pretty much. Let's I do mean, it. there's like a little bit of whatever, but mostly it's just a sweet love story about two people that I'm happy met. This is from The Guardian and Outside Magazine and from the website sarahjustinepackwood.com. Okay. Okay. So in May of 2015, a retired engineer named Brett Clibbery was visiting the UK from his home in Canada. He was standing waiting for the number 87 bus near Trafalgar Square when he noticed that there was some sort of celebration going on. There were hundreds of people crowded into the square. They were all waving flags. It's very celebratory. And so he turns to a stranger who's also at a bus stop and asks, what do you think is going on? And she told him, oh, they're probably celebrating the birth of Princess Charlotte, who had just been born that morning. And the stranger who answered his question was a woman named Sarah Packwood. And Sarah was just headed home after a long day at work. She was a humanitarian aid advisor for the Department of International Development's operation team. And she had been called into the office because a week earlier, there had been a devastating earthquake in Nepal. 
And she was there to support the emergency response in London. And Sarah had been an aid worker for 20 years. She started in Tanzania in 1995, where she provided medical and community services to Rwandan refugees. And since that time, she had worked in over 20 countries for NGOs and for the United Nations. She was deployed to emergency response teams in conflicts in South Sudan, Kosovo, Congo, Kyrgyzstan, and natural disasters in Bangladesh, Ethiopia, Haiti, Mozambique, and Myanmar, as well as many others. So you can imagine when Brett kind of casually asked this stranger, like, oh, where are you coming from today? And she told him that she had been working around the clock on the emergency situation in Nepal, he was impressed and, you know, kind of surprised by Uh her answer. I'm sure he thought like maybe she was like, oh, it's just popped around for a tea. I don't know. (laughs) But but so he's like, thank you. I'm very proud of it. Um, So he asks her more questions and she happily answers, you know, and she's like, she says, I thought Brett was so handsome, like Robert Redford. He was very interesting and chatty. Then she asked him, like, oh, why are you in London? Because she could tell by his accent that he was Canadian or American. And and his answer surprised her, too. He told her that he was there to donate his kidney to his sister, Glory, who lived in the UK. And he was in the era, area of Trafalgar Square, not to sightsee, but he was coming from the hospital where he had been going every day to have tests done. So both of them are intrigued by each other, right? You just strike up this random conversation with a stranger, and it turned out that they were both waiting for the same bus, the number 87 to Battersea. And what's more, Brett's mom and sister, it turned out, lived right around the corner from Sarah. Hmm. So when the bus came, the two were like so engrossed in this conversation that they naturally walked up the stairs to the top deck, and they sat together, and they started talking about their shared love of traveling, and Brett told... Sarah, oh, a few years earlier, I walked the El Camino de Santiago, which was something that Sarah had always wanted to do. So she was really excited to talk to him about that. And this is, I don't know if you know about, it's like a, it's a hiking trail that generally starts in like France. I think there are a couple of different parts of this trail, but it usually starts in France. It goes about 500 miles through four of Spain's regions, and it ends at the Cathedral of Santiago de Compostela in Galicia, Spain. I probably said all of those words wrong. But it goes like it, you hike through the Pyrenees Mountains, through vineyards, through eucalyptus forests. It's really beautiful. And a lot of people actually see it as a religious pilgrimage. And then others just see it as like kind of a spiritual hike. Uh-huh. Um, so the conversation, so they're talking about this. Their conversation was so easy and they were so engrossed that they were both surprised when Brett Stop came and he had to get off the bus. And so Sarah handed him one of her cards. It turns out she also does, um, you'll love this, Reiki healing work. And so she was like, well, you're new doing this kidney donation. Maybe I can do some work on you or whatever, you know, if you're interested in learning more about it, whatever. So she hands one of the cards and is basically like, good luck in your kidney donation. It was great talking to you. And so she gets rides the bus to the next stop, gets off. And by the time she gets into her house, there was already an email waiting for her from Brett. Aww inviting her out to tea the next day after work. And so for the next few weeks, they met every day, taking walks along the South Bank or having lunch together at a park. And Brett just says she was so easy to talk to. And so they're just having this kind of magical, like, getting to know you romance. But then 
real life burst right into the middle of their love story because Sarah's mom had terminal cancer and Sarah needed to move home to the Midlands to care for her. And so basically they had to say goodbye after just a couple weeks, but they continued to talk over Skype. But within just a few weeks of Sarah moving um, to help her mom, it became apparent that her mother was in the final days of her life. So... Brett and Sarah now had this like incredible bond and he really wanted to help Sarah get through this. And so she asked him to come to the Midlands and he did staying with her in the final week before her mom died. He even helped her arrange the funeral, which like having been through this, it's like such a gift, you know, to have someone who is more clear headed when you're in the midst of your grief, who can like make the arrangements and decisions that seem trivial, but need to be done is amazing. I was like, when I was reading about this, I was thinking it's not exactly the same, but it makes me think of when my mom died, my sister-in-law Tasha was there, of course, but she was the one who was just like, let me take care of all of these kind of mundane details. She got a dumpster because we had to clean out my mom's house and she took charge of cleaning and was very- That's amazing. Yeah. And like, you know, she and Ben and then of course, Dr. Dudefuck was there. They all worked really hard and they like did all this grunt work so that my brothers and I could just kind of be sad, you know? And it was like, they were so sweet and respectful. They were like, we don't want to push anything, but we know it needs to be done and we will work and you guys could just do whatever, like wander around. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I like even, it just made me think of that. Like, even though it seems weird to have a person you've just met to like help you through something like that, Sarah is an only child. And so I imagine having Brett there, someone who just knew her and was just there for her, not her mom, you know, wasn't also grieving. Was an amazing comfort. So, so late, uh, Brett went back to London, and Sarah went back in August, which was uh, like about a month later. And now Brett was having his kidney donation operation, and so Sarah went to go be there for him. And so she was there for him in the hospital. And then when he was released, he actually went to her house where she took care of him. And once Brett had recovered, he had to go back to Canada, but they vowed to keep this relationship going. So Sarah, you know, she's grieving and because this is just now a month after her mom has died. And she decides that she's going to walk the El Camino Santiago in the memory of her mother. So she's going to hike that trail that they had talked about as like a pilgrimage and for her mother. And so in September of 2015, Sarah flew to the French Pyrenees by herself with just a backpack on her back and set off on her pilgrimage. And she and Brett would talk over Skype during her journey. You know, he had been there and he could understand. And she, when she actually finished the trail, she was like, I'm not quite done. She had met all these amazing people along the way. And she was like, I just want to keep hiking. I'm not through with my journey. Mm-hmm. So she went down and she hiked another trail. And she, But when she finally got back to the UK – At the end of 2015, Sarah knew that she needed a change in her life. So she actually quit her job and put her London flat up for sale. And she was kind of trying to figure out her life. But so she and Brett started making plans for her to visit him in Canada. And, you know, he was a retired engineer. He had had made a really good living. And so he actually had a yacht. And they say yacht, but it also is like a sailboat yacht. I don't know the difference, but it's a yacht. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking it's not like... Like a like Pitbull would be on. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like a sailing yacht. But it's called Theros in Salt Spring Island, which is like outside of Vancouver. 
um, in Canada. And so he asked Sarah, who had never sailed before but was always up for an adventure, to come to Canada and to sail with him for three weeks. And so less than a year after meeting Brett at the bus stop, Sarah boarded a plane to Vancouver in March of 2016 to go meet Brett. And so she says Brett met her at the arrivals gate with a long-stemmed rose and a beautiful gift and whisked her away to the seaplane terminal where they caught a five-seater plane to Salt Spring Island. And she said actually the last time she had flown in a small seaplane like this was in the mid-90s when she was a humanitarian aid worker at the refugee camps in Tanzania. Uh And she said this trip was incredibly different and the scenery was just as beautiful. And although they had been talking constantly over Skype, they hadn't seen each other in six months, but it was like no time passed. They were so happy to be reunited. And that night, Brett showed her around the boat. They ate dinner on the deck, and they talked all night long. And the next day was their first day of sailing. And so they set sail. They sailed for four hours in this beautiful weather. And she says that Brett was this really patient and great teacher, uh, teaching her how to, you know, do all the sails, boat stuff. I don't know. Uh Uh-huh. And then once, and so they docked in a town. And then once they were there, they were down in the main cabin of the boat. And Brett surprised Sarah with a ring. He asked her to marry him. And she says she was overwhelmed and only managed to whisper, Of course I will. And so that's, yeah, so that was in March. And then in that summer, they actually got married on board the boat and spent the next few months living between the UK and Canada. And then in April 2017, they held a Celtic ceremony at Stonehenge, which is known as hand fasting, which is a very traditional ceremony. They tied their hands together while they drank mead. They were asked to jump over a broom, which symbolizes going into married life. Mm -hmm. And the two returned to Canada to work on the boat for a few months before sailing, heading out on a sailing adventure in North America. They spent a year on the boat together. They, so- they sailed from Salt Spring Island to the west coast of Canada, the U.S., went across the Panama Canal towards the Caribbean and went all the way back up to Nova Scotia. And they came back in the summer of 2018. They bought some land in Salt Spring Island and they have plans to build an eco house. So Sarah still works as a freelance humanitarian aid worker, but she no longer goes to trouble spots. And Brett says, we love to spend our time walking, traveling, and playing music together. And in fact, the two have now walked parts of the Camino Trail, both in 2016 and 2019 together, something that they talked about on that very first bus ride. And Brett says that from the day they met, he has always been impressed by her resourcefulness. He says, she is an amazing lady who never lets anything get in her way. Not even months of seasickness when we went sailing. And Sarah loves Brett's kindness and compassion. She says, he, he keeps me going in the dark days after losing my mom, and he always challenges me to be my best self. He's my soulmate and has a heart of gold. And so you can actually read all about Aww. their adventures. They plan to go back out for another year-long boat ride. Why not? Sailing in 2021. And you can read all about their adventures on Sarah's blog, um, which is called Wayfaring Sarah at sarahjustinepackwood.com. Oh my God. Yeah. So that's my sweet love story. And it just, it makes me so happy to have these people who've had amazing and full lives and then they find each other and they just get to have more adventures together. Yeah. Yeah. Especially during uh, this time right now. Right. Um, that's so awesome. I love that story. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Thanks, Sally. Hey, you're welcome. No problem. Hey, are you ready to do something 
dumb and something we love? I am ready. All right. What you got? Uh, I guess. Well, so I don't know. I guess just during, uh, I don't know if it's a quarantine thing. I don't know if it's a me turning 40 thing. I don't know. But I was feeling like I need a change. Uh huh. Aesthetically, <laughs> I haven't been very happy with my appearance <laughs> uh, and so I decided I needed just like a total change and I just like was compelled to cut all of my hair off like just like I think we cut about like six inches off or something yeah and so my friend Julie uh hey Julie she's great hey Julie um, she gave me a big old haircut and cut it real short it's like up to my chin and I was feeling good feeling great and then I walked through my door yesterday <laughs> my daughter locked eyes with me and her face fell and she just screams no <laughs> like you know oh, Lulu. in movies when like there's a tragic car accident and someone is uh-huh. seeing a loved one for the first time and <laughs> can't bear uh-huh. the sight of them yeah. it's too painful that's how she looked at me <laughs> <laughs> like a, like I was in a house fire or something. And then I walked further into the house and my husband opens his office door and he goes, oh, whoa. And there was that. <laughs> and I've seen a picture and I love it. Thank you. You know, and so that's, so the something dumb is their reactions. And then I was like, oh, what did I do? And then I was like, you know what? I really like it. And I feel good it feels cleaner you know to have all uh-huh. the dead ends cut off i feel lighter i'm happy for the change i think julie did a great job and um they'll just have to as louise puts it i'll have to get used to it <laughs> they'll just have to get used to it <laughs> oh louise yeah <laughs> so how about you well, let's see. Okay, so my dumb thing, when we talked about this, but it was uh, my mom – it would have been my mom's birthday yes. on Monday. And, you know, I just didn't realize it was going to hit me so hard. Like, I'm I'm pretty good at, like, compartmentalizing. And so <laughs> it may have just been – I just did too many compartments, you know, because I, like, woke up in the morning and was just like, I can't get out of bed. Like, I oh. am – like felt like a weight was on me and I just was so sad. I was really sad, which I mean, I it makes sense, but also I just wasn't expecting to be so sad. And so um, I ended up taking the day off work. My boss is amazing to be like, whatever, I don't care, <laughs> go for it. And I decided Ben was just like, if you want to stay in bed all day, it's totally cool, whatever you need. And I was like, you know what I think I need? I think I just need to get out of here. And so the thing I love is that I did get out of bed and I decided that like my mom was just such she loved birthdays and mostly what she loved most was celebrating other people. And so I was like, well, I'm going to celebrate her today and me. And I was like, what would she want to do? And I was like, no, she wouldn't want to go for a hike, but that's what I want to do. So I went on this beautiful hike and then I got a hotel room by myself and I went and had a dinner by myself that she would have loved and I got cupcakes which were like her favorite thing in the whole wide world and then I stuffed myself with a cupcake and I watched baking shows and it was like exactly what I needed. It was like the best reset. I felt like, 
you know, it was so nice to just have a day to think about her and like, you know, because a lot of times I'm just like, yeah, well, life, you just got to keep going forward. So it was nice to like take a pause just in general. And then it was just nice to take a pause and think about my mom. So that's what I love. It was really great. Good. I'm so glad that you had that nice reset. It was. I mean, I literally, I was like, I feel like a different person coming home than I did leaving. Good. That's like, that's the best is when it actually works. You know, like, I, right, I know. You, like, <laughs> try to have those days for yourself. And then you're yes. like, I'm, it didn't even, I feel the same, you know? I know. So. I think it was probably because I had, I woke up in the morning, I had no expectation of going and leaving for the night. Like, right. but I just, like Ben actually suggested it. And then I was like, maybe, I don't know. I don't, I, can't, I don't even feel like I'm going to make it to go hiking. Like I really yeah. was just like, so like, oh, I don't. But as soon as I got out and started walking, I was just like, okay, okay, this is better. I good. feel better. It's good to breathe some fresh air, see a pretty sight, and then stay at a fancy hotel by yourself. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well. It was great. Good. I'm glad that you had a good ending to that day. I know yeah. it was hard. Yeah. Oh, the other thing that I want to say, this is kind of a dumb and love thing too, is that I was supposed to on on Monday, which was the day that this all happened, was I was supposed to record a podcast with my friend David Britton. Mm-hmm. And he has a very funny podcast. It's called Do You Know What Time It Is? And basically the conceit it's very silly. The conceit is that like David can't sleep because his friends keep calling him in the middle of the night. And so he'll have all these different comedians call in and do just like talk silly stuff as if they're waking him up in the middle of the night. And it's great. And so you should definitely listen to it. It's called Do You Know What Time It Is with David Britton. Or check out David Britton because he's so funny and delightful. But I just 100% spaced on it. I just did it. I like got home and was like, oh, God, I was supposed to do this today. I saw these like messages from him being like, if you need more time, it's totally Aww. cool. <laughs> and this is like the third time I've rescheduled on him. And so, uh, but he's such a wonderful and sweet person that um, hopefully he's cool with it. But um, but you should listen to his podcast. One day, maybe I'll be on it. But yeah, but that's the thing I love. Yay. I'm definitely going to check it out. That sounds awesome. You guys, we did another episode. We did it. I think this might have been a long one. Yeah. With some yeah. extra bonus content for you extra bonus chit chat by bonus (laughs) i mean we talked a lot um but thank you guys what happens when we don't talk for two weeks i know thank you guys so much for listening you're amazing thank you for writing and reviewing um thank you for everything we love you so much we love you so much hit us up you guys hit us up give uh, us on all the places you know where it is yeah i don't want to say it send get it send us your love stories and in the meantime Get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum-da-dum, dum-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum.